Hello and welcome to Edelman Editions. In this episode, we're joined by Matt Ellison, a highly sought after, entertaining and thought provoking transgender speaker who will provide his insights on change, growth and identity. Using his experience of making huge and fundamental change himself, Matt will discuss how it applies to everyone in all areas of professional and personal life. Hi, Matt. Hi there. How's it going? Are you you well? (laughs) Yes, I'm very well. Thanks. Hope you are too. Yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. Um, so we'll we'll jump right in. Um, I know you've just delivered a, a really interesting uh, keynote to to uh, Edelman internally. Um, can you start just by telling us a little about your identity and your journey to discovering and affirming it? Yeah. So I was born physically female, but psychologically male, and I think that's a really important distinction to make because <clears throat> people kind of say, "When did you realise that that you wanted to be male?" And it's like, "Well, no, I was I was always male." And it was actually when did I discover that I wasn't male? Um, so that you know, my identity has always been male. And then discovering it, I spent a lifetime hiding it, not being very happy, not feeling like I had the confidence to do anything about it. Basically, through fear of what what people would think of me and what might happen to me, and being rejected. And so, discovering it, I eventually it it just became too overwhelming. I, I needed to do something, so I went and spoke to a gender counsellor. And I kind of prayed that in some ways they could give me permission to transition, even though I knew that it would be down to me. <clears throat> so I didn't think that that, that would be a poss- possibility for him to do that. And yet actually he did. And so that opened up some doors for me and I just felt much more confident going forward. And also realizing that actually the world had changed since I was a child and was much more accepting. So that enabled me to go forward and make this change as well. So Matt, earlier you you mentioned on your talk to sort of Edelman employees that um, the internet wasn't something you had as a child and then found in later life. And I, I guess I just wanted to know more about um, sort of how the internet played a role in this in this journey mm. and sort of finding a community. Yeah, it played a massive role. So yes, when I was young, there was no internet. So I had no clue what was possible, what was out there. I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know how many people. I didn't know anything about hormones. And as I explained, like I say earlier, was that I'd put my barriers up at the age of five, that this was something that I could never explore. So in a way that actually made things harder because I had, I'd had i already had my barrier up and then the internet came along so I could educate myself, which I was in this sort of conflict where I so desperately wanted to do the things that I could see happening for other trans men. <clears throat> and yet I'd already made a decision that I couldn't. And so that took quite a lot to actually overturn my fears and my limiting beliefs to actually to, to make this transition. But what what happened was, if you look online, you get lots of transition videos for other, for other, I was mostly looking at trans men, obviously, but for trans men and trans women, lots of people document their transitions. And I was just following their stories and getting really excited about seeing what was possible and how successful they could be and how accepted they were being, but still feeling like I couldn't do it. And it, it almost became like a Pandora's box. So I'd open it a little bit and then run away, open it again. And eventually I spent about a year spending almost every evening going up and just looking at YouTube videos. And this, the feeling and the pain inside was just getting harder and harder to deal with until in the end I thought, no, I need to at least go and speak to someone. Which like I say, that's where the counsellor came in and you know, the rest is history, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 with that counsellor, I remember you mentioned earlier, sort of having that therapeutic moment, that that breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. Could you could you sort of tell us a bit more about that? About that yeah. Moment? 
yeah so <clears throat> the therapeutic moment is that moment where it's like the light bulb turning on and all of a sudden everything becomes clear and you can see the way forward so my what happened was my counselor just said to me one day people will come into your life and they'll have only ever known you as matt and then for me that was it that was that therapeutic moment and to unpack my thoughts around that it was i'd spent decades just looking and thinking of all the different people that I would have to tell and explain this to and that would see me changing. And obviously you've got to tell close people to you that, that you might lose. But there's also people don't consider things like the, the checkout person in the supermarket or the waiter in, in your favourite restaurant, that actually they're going to see changes happening, but you can't sit them down and have a conversation with them. And so there were hundreds of people that, and it scared me thinking, I, I can't, I just, I can't deal with this, I can't handle it. And yeah, what that counsellor said to me about Eventually, people would have only ever known me as Matt. In that moment, I actually realised that actually, if I had done this at, say, 18, I would have been past that moment. And now I would just be able to live as Matt and, and people wouldn't know any different. People that, that knew me before, eventually they'd forget anyway, because, you know, they'd go on to the, the next news topic and forget about mine. And so, yeah, it, it just made me realise that at that point that all I needed to do was get through a difficult period of time transitioning which it actually wasn't it turns out and then i'd be on the other side of it which is something i hadn't considered i spent decades just thinking of being in that moment rather than getting past it yeah absolutely um but before sort of coming to that moment then there must have been a, a point in time where you realize that all of the sort of um cis heteronormative roles and norms that society imposes on people um didn't quite fit and go from sort of uh disliking those to to wanting and needing to actively deconstruct them and overcome them um yeah could, can you tell us a bit about your experience there sort of in questioning and deconstructing these limiting ideas and what you learned from that yeah i mean people they do tend to to think very much like well if you're born physically female or, or physically male and they tend to say you know name parts of people's anatomy then, um, then that's it. That's all you can be. So that's a very limiting idea because actually, if you take say a soldier that stood on a landmine, you know we we hear lots of stories of, of of soldiers sadly losing their legs, but they also lose their genitals. And so, you know, if if a man doesn't have a penis, does that mean he's not a man anymore? It's not. That's that's not what makes you a man. You're still the same person. And so, to me, people they they get they just get stuck on on the physicality side of things whereas actually to me what's important is what's inside and i say as i mentioned previously in in the um the earlier session was that actually we accept that that men can be masculine or camp and we accept that women can be very feminine or they can be butch so why can't we accept that people can be transgender or somewhere on the scale non-binary it's and yeah, challenging, challenging that is is what's difficult because it's very difficult to change views. Things don't happen overnight. But I do feel that things are changing. And I hope that by by speaking about my experiences, I can help to change those 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 ideas of the, the kind of gender norms that people have. And hopefully one day just accept that people are who they who they want to be and that the world is a better place with the colourful variations that we get with gender and everything else that we get in life. Yeah, precisely. Nothing, nothing in life is black and white. And yeah, you know, we deal with we deal in not even just shades of grey, but we deal in sort of a really rich spectrum of, of, um, you know, all sorts of things in our daily mm. lives. And it's, it's, it's disappointing that some people are still so attached to this idea of, 
a very sort of uh, split gender binary, one yeah. or the other. Um, yeah. I guess that's what we're sort of uh, working to overcome is that idea that everything must be A or B, black or white, X yeah. or Y. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily, you actually touched earlier in your talk on um, uh, biological sex and how even that isn't quite as, yeah. as black and white as we think, um, which I thought was a really, a really interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, people, I hear it a lot where people say there is only male and female. That's it. What other gender is there? Yeah. Job done. And it's like, yeah, that's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. So <clears throat> the same with paint. You can get a black pot and a white pot, but if you mix them, and there's still only two colours, but you get any shade, and that to me is what gender's about. And then, like as you've just mentioned, I find it fascinating that actually lots of us know about XY and XX chromosomes, but actually there's just X or XXY. And, you know, there's, there's at least six different chromosomal makeups of gender that have just come from male and female. And... Yeah, the, the the thought that actually our bodies can do that can be that way on a spectrum. Imagine how brilliant the human mind is and, and what capacity that will have to be somewhere on that gender scale. It's just, you know, it's unlimited, basically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so when undergoing gender transition, presumably there are lots of decisions to be made, some of which um, you can plan in advance, others of which might be sort of milestones you see coming how how did you navigate making those in the moment tough decisions um, and planning for those those further off milestones? Yeah, the, the I think the actual decisions for transition itself, there are some decisions to be made. But for me, I pretty much knew what I wanted and what I didn't. So you know, there there are various decisions you can make through surgery, and you don't always know because dysphoria tends to move as well. So people have their chest surgery and then they get lower dysphoria. So that's the genital area because. Yeah, it's like as you stop thinking about one thing, you think more about the next and you yearn for that to be corrected too. I was very lucky with that. But in terms of navigating difficult decisions, yes, there's there's so much more than people can imagine to do with gender transition in terms of just having to tell utility people, you know, your mobile phone bill, your electric company, your electoral role. There's so many different areas that you have to do and challenges to face and trying to get a gender recognition certificate if you want that, because you need to show a paper trail of X, Y, and Z happening. You've got a lot of companies that that may say, you tell them that you're transitioning, and they say, well, we can't change it until we've seen your recognition certificate, which actually you, it works the other way around. You can't get the certificate until you've got the paper trail, and you don't need it to change your, your name on your bank statement, for example, your bank account. So there's lots of, lots of things to navigate, and... Unfortunately, the world knows a little bit about this, but not enough. So my counsellor said to me very interestingly, quite early on, that very often we are the educators in this. So because it's our topic, we learn and we, we educate ourselves on it. But then we're dealing with professionals that we end up almost trying to tell them what their job is, you know, telling a doctor what, what medications we can choose from, etc., which they don't always like. So you have to do that very diplomatically. And so there's lots of things that you just you couldn't foresee. Um, like I say, I, I kind of thought, oh, when I get over this hurdle and I'm then Matt and people have only ever known me as Matt, job done, I can just be Matt and that's it. But life is never, ever that simple. It's never that black and white. And then I can be in a room full of people that, that don't know I'm trans and someone else walks in from my, you know, from 20 years ago and they're confused as to why I've now got a beard and why my voice is deeper. And that could be something that you need to navigate. So there's, you know, eight years later, I'm still navigating this journey but 
I don't find it difficult because I've learned that actually you can cope with any of these things. You just learn to cope with them and I'm calm. And actually it's interesting. It makes life interesting. It is part of the rich tapestry of life that, that I'm proud of, of my background. Although I don't tell everyone because sometimes I just want to be that. I don't want to be the protected characteristic. I just want to be Matt, but I can then stand up in front of people and talk about my journey. And so I kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, you, you mentioned there um, the role of educator and there's lots of discourse online around, um, especially for sort of marginalised groups, whether the burden of educating should fall to people in those groups mm. who have the lived experience and know most um, or whether, you know, people who want to know more should go away and do their own research and not not place that sort of emotional um, mm. and labour burden on the person. What What's your what's your experience with that? Um, <clears throat> I actually think it, it should be a little bit of both. Because if people want to know about it, there is information out there. They can look up things that that might be difficult to ask someone. Um, but also, there there are people out there that that don't want to be out, so they don't want to have those conversations. And then there's people like myself that do want to. So again, nothing's black and white. And I think if we get to the end goal, by at you know the sum of all those things happening is is going to help. I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and- what then has that taught you about communicating with people? If you're if you're trying to get people, um, um, hopefully everyone who approaches you approaches you with you know all due uh, politeness and dignity. But if you're having difficult conversations, what's that taught you about about how to communicate with those people? Um, well, I I I kind of thought about this very very early on, and I kind of decided that actually my own mannerisms and my own you know, the aura that I give off will actually carry people with me. And I, I say earlier, I think I explained that a, a big example for me was if a woman says to you they're pregnant, but you don't know the circumstances, we all want to please. So if it might be someone has been trying for three years, or it might be someone that's actually married and has just had an affair, one night stand, and you don't know whether to go, oh, congratulations, or oh, oh dear, what, what are you going to do? And I kind of, I rolled with that and thought, well, that's on me to tell them how I want them to react. So I don't want to go, oh, I've got this weird news to tell you. I want to say, I've got good news. You know, it's exciting for me. And that's how I did it. That's how I I got people on my side. And that's, that's how I communicate with people. And I've been, I guess some of this is luck because you just can't change some people's minds. But so far, touch wood, and I'm sure it will happen one day, I haven't had anyone have a negative reaction to me personally. And I think it helps because people know, you know, if you know someone, then that makes a difference. It's very easy online when you see someone, you don't know them to have a view about that person. But when you actually know them and hopefully like them already, then they can tell you stuff and you think, oh, okay. And you accept it because you like that person. Great. I I hope the uh, the negative reaction never does come for you, and I'm, I'm very so pleased to hear it's been <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> very pleased to hear it's been all positive so far. Mm. Um, earlier in your talk, um, you touched a bit on a metaphor of uh, showing the frog um, as a sort of an example of allyship, and I th- I thought that was wonderful. I think it's a metaphor that a lot of us um, will take away. And for people listening to the podcast, if they ever get the opportunity to hear you deliver that keynote, then I would absolutely say say take it because it was full of mm full of key learnings like this, uh, showing the frog. Can you just uh, sort of go over that again and explain yeah. what showing the frog means and, and its relationship with allyship? 
Yes, definitely. So I've got a picture of uh, what's quite big in the picture is a hand, and then there's a tiny little frog in it. And like I say, for me, it's a metaphor for how, and it goes for lots of different areas, but how something very small can have a big impact. So if you, yeah, if someone says something and you're not quite sure whether they're on side, you can actually be quite prickly. But if they've said something about pronouns and asked you what your pronouns are or said something positive, anything that's basically, you know, demonstrating something can be very, very small, which is a, an example of the tiny little frog that has a big impact on someone like myself that goes, oh, OK, this person is now they're They're on my side. They know about this stuff and it's someone I can trust. And yet they don't need to know everything because it's, it's impossible for us to know everything. And what I very often get asked is, how do we start these conversations? Because we don't know about this stuff. We don't know enough. And I'm scared about saying the wrong thing. But actually, it's really obvious once you've demonstrated that little frog and you said something, said something right, and it can be tiny, that person then has confidence in you and they won't be so, uh, much, so much offended if you slip up because we all slip up. I slip up myself sometimes. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's there's there's so many examples of the little frog from just your mannerisms, the things you say, putting pronouns in in the um, in your emails. If I go to a website, I think it was Boots and I ordered something on Boots and the drop down list for the titles had MX, which is a gender neutral title. So the fact that that was a demonstration that, that Boots know about this stuff. So it's tiny, but it had a huge impact for me and for other people. Absolutely. There's, there's sort of small ways that mm. you can demonstrate you're on side. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there uh, slipping up. It's something mm. that I think a lot of people fear, especially as they're sort of working on their own allyship. Yeah. What are sort of the common um, slip ups and pitfalls that, you know, people might innocently make but could be yeah. avoided? Yeah. Um, well, I think um, pronouns and gendering is really difficult. I've got a little great nephew. He's, he's actually six now, but I remember from the age of three or four, he knew if he saw a man or a woman to say he or she and doesn't even think about it. So, you know, these things are ingrained in us at a very early age and they're, they're just natural. So it can be very difficult if someone's transitioning in the workplace and you've known them as he or she to actually make that switch. And, you know, my, my mum still misgenders me eight years later uh, by accident. And she's completely on site, doesn't mean anything by it. So those are the sorts of things that can happen or using an old name. Um, you've got things that can happen that it, unlike that where it's just it slips out by accident even though you know what you should be saying things sometimes people say that they just have no clue that you shouldn't be saying stuff like that such as asking someone what what their previous name was is a big no-no a previous name for a trans person can be called a dead name because literally to them that person is now dead it, they don't like it it's, it's in the past and so they don't want that to be raked up um, and people don't they you know I say that to people and they go oh that would have been one of the first things I'd have asked. So they just don't know. Um, and in terms of if it happens, the say the pronoun thing, the other question I get asked a lot is, what do we do if that happens, if I slip up? And I think, again, there's no right or wrong answer for everyone. But as a whole, most people would say, correct it and move on. Don't apologise. Don't Because if, if you stop and go, oh, 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 I'm really, really, really sorry, oh, I meant this, you've actually made it into a much bigger thing. There's actually on my Twitter account, I took a, a clip of one of the COVID briefings with Alex Sharma misgendering um, Jenny Harry's. And he just went, blah, 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 he, she and carried on. So obviously that's not, you know, it happens. That's not in a, in a situation to do with gender. 
And yet that's exactly what you should do. It was the smallest slip. And for most people, they probably wouldn't have even noticed it. And that's the ideal way of handling with stuff like that. It's a valuable lesson there, um, especially in this situation, but in, in broader life. I've, had, I've actually had a similar discussion with a manager before about that if you sort of say, oh, I'm so sorry, and send follow-up emails yeah. to someone who you've made a mistake with, you just draw attention to it, whereas sometimes yeah. it is easier just to correct it and yeah. to move on. Um, yeah. yeah. And really. if you have corrected it, they know you've corrected it. And that's how you show them the frog, right? It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You correct it and show that you're, yeah. Yeah. you're on side. Um, so you've been a speaker on on your experience um, worldwide. Um, is there anything you sort of you've learned from your from your travels and from your speaking um, that we can we can think about and apply to our own our own uh, allyship within Edelman? Um, well, I think it's it's drawing from stories that actually, like I say, probably things are you always kind of think that that things are are exclusive to you, but actually listening to my story and my journey, these things apply to everybody. And you know, the, the world will just be a better place if we accepted that people people are different and that that's a good thing. And we, we should celebrate how people are and just basically be nice to people. Yeah, that's that's how we're going to get closer to something, uh, again, yeah. you mentioned in your keynote of belonging. Hmm. It's, it's not just about bringing necessarily um, more of certain groups into the workplace. It's about making sure that once they're there, there is that sense of real, yes. yeah. real belonging. Yeah. Um, so there on that topic of belonging, um, it, it's not just about um, how that helps the person you're introducing to the workplace and those in marginalised groups in the workplace. Um, DE&I and belonging is, is for everyone, yes? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, one of the things I've learned is that actually there's two main groups of people that, that being inclusive can benefit. So it's usually pretty obvious why we'd be inclusive to the person that, that needs including. It's going to make their life nicer, but it actually benefits everyone around them as well. So, you know, people normally, when they listen to my story, they they see that I was very restricted and sort of, you know, tied in and you, you can't achieve when you're not yourself. And so now life is great and I'm much happier. What effect does that have on those around me? You know, I'm going to bounce out of bed and I'm going to want to go to work in the morning. So if you're a company, you'd much rather employ the me that can be myself rather than one that feels stifled. And then the same is going to go for my team around me as well. So the whole environment, if I'm happier, they're going to be happier. And then that's a vicious circle and, and um, they feed off each other as well, which then means that sick pay, sick, um, sick time is less, staff retention will be better. But also word gets out. So if you're an inclusive company and you're demonstrating those little frogs all the time, people will hear that and then you'll get more people wanting to come and work for you, which means you've got a broader range of talent and that strengthens your team. So once you start on this journey of actually being inclusive and you've actually got a positive environment, I think it kind of snowballs into this bigger positive environment as well, which benefits, like I say, not just the minorities, but everyone around them as well. Yeah, there's a sort of, yeah, that spin-off effect, something you might not necessarily consider, I think, yeah. um, as, as we all sort of work on furthering DEI ambitions in the workplace, it is easy to get, not stuck necessarily, but to focus on the the small wins for people day to day in the office without necessarily yeah. always considering this huge laddering up effect. Yeah, and some people, some people, some companies think of it like, oh, we need to tick boxes. And, you know, lots of companies are trying to get away from that. But, yeah, they think, well, we need to be inclusive. So how do we do that? Oh, we'll do this or we'll explain this or we'll have some training. <clears throat> but actually, it needs to come. 
you know, negative environments, I think, breed negative people. And, and then that, that snowballs into a, a downward spiral. So I think the positivity that you can get from being inclusive will just grow and the whole, yeah, everyone will benefit. That circles back quite neatly to what you said earlier about communicating. You know, if you if you start from a place of positivity, you can bring people along yeah. with you on that journey. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt, thank you. This has been incredibly interesting. Um, a really, really engaging talk for those who attended in Edelman earlier, um, and I think an equally engaging podcast. And like yeah. I said, for anyone listening who gets the chance to hear Matt speak someday, absolutely take it because. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really, really informative talk. So I just want to say thank you very much for, for your time and for, for sharing these stories and these insights with us. Brilliant. Thank thank you very much for inviting me and taking time to listen to me. It's, it's always a pleasure. So thank you.